This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Mechama is going to read us a, two poems. Those rats are sharing. Then we're going to... This poem is what I call a developing poem. My other poems are self-actualizing poems. But this poem is a becoming poem, not a became poem. My secret hiding place. I touched a seed and it grew into a flower. I touched a leaf and it blew freely in the wind. I touched a man and he gave me his heart. I touched a child and she blossomed into a person. Why then is it so hard to understand myself here in my secret hiding place? As I, now, this is a different, different type poem. In the shelter of his light, I was homeless, but I knew him in the shelter of his light. I was frightened, but I knew him in the shelter of his light. I was hungry, but I knew him in the shelter of his light. I was in pain, but I knew him in the shelter of his light. Oh, Lord, let your light persist and let it heal us all. I want to make a little uh, short announcement. She's been here, how many years here? Five. Some has been here five years. And Baruch Hashem, we've seen her blossom, like it says in her phone. Tonight she um, came to Ornava with some very big news, and I would like her to share it with everyone here. Well, it's two, two parts. I was having some difficulty with my daughter, and she called me the other day and said, Mom, you're the best. And, I, and thank you for going through the journey of motherhood with me. And I, and to me, sorry, to me, it was like God Himself had answered my prayers as a mother, and I coached my entire house. For the first time. Um the Chama's house is now 100%. They just captured her whole kitchen and everything. And I'm showing the Shabbos. And, and, I, and I, was, I was very pleased to have Abigail and another friend of mine from Ornava come to visit me on Shabbos so I wouldn't be lonely. And they were wonderful to me. She brought me, not um, not during Shabbos, but she brought me a, an ankle bracelet for an ankle brace for my foot, which is very which is paining me. And they were wonderful to me. And it's as if God has opened. It's because of Ornava. It's because of you, Rabbi Wallace. <laughs> 
actually because of her, I'm just the coach. She's the player. You're the player. I'm just the coach. Never mind. So, <laughs> so anyway, that's what I wanted to say. And I, I'm not saying it for applause. I'm saying it because I've made connection with the Hashem. Thank you. And when we first, when we first started our novel, I was I was advised only to have the ages of seventeen to twenty one. You wouldn't about you wouldn't have been allowed in at twenty two. We're doing the lecture. So it's good we stretched it to twenty two. It's good we stretched it. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, you got to dream. You got to dream. What to say? There are people who live and ask why. I dream and ask why not, right? It's a famous, famous saying. All right. A lot of, a lot of paperwork here. Okay. What? We need a secretary now. We're good. Before Shlevin, Mashal, Yazid, Ben Miriam, Belabas, Malka, Dinzabas, Edel, Kalabas, Chayrachal, Nukhruim, Beschaya, Chanabas, Rimesel, Dabatuya, Ben Sarah, Chanabas, Roch, Yuriel, Ben Gloria, Gloria Bedina, Baruch Bedina, Nun Ben Zulai, Chaim Ben Leah, Marachai David Ben Leva, Eliyaz Ben Tvor, Avram Ben Mazel, Yitigetzel Ben Sarah, Nechama Bat Sarah. And everyone who needs their first name, Ashraz Bat Esther, Nechama Bat Rivka, Choyichil, Vashashan, Yenishraz Reza Bat Dabber, Fushlema, Chochali Yisrael, Fushlema Chaim Yona, Ben Dabi, Shal Menachem Ben Bat Tepera, Yona Ben Tvor, Esther Reza Bat Daba, Shal Shalama Bat Daba, Matra Bat Sarah, Lina Bat Sarah, Sima Bat Hena, Elti Yehudis Bat, Chaya Fega, Mordechai Yosef Alter Ben Basha, Moshe Ben Alter Tzvi, Shmuel Chanan Ben Yochavad, Ruah Bas Chana. Shalom Mordechai Levi Ben Rivka, Yonis and Levi Ben Malka, Yaakov Yehuda Ben Shendel, Yara Rose Bas Etapaya, Frumet Etabas Esther Rivka, Yishev Bas Tvar Malka, Rav Aaron Yehuda Leib Ben Gitel Fega Shlita, Chaim Yitzchak Ben Rivka Leia, Rav Yitzchak Tivi Ben Rikul, Don Yaakov Ben Golda, Yenta Tipora Viva Bas Sari Meinu Chama Bas Rivka. so the Dvar Bas Chanat Zeril, Michal Bas Freyder, Rochel Rivka Bas Peril, Tzvi Fal Ben Leichasi, Malka Bas Miriam, Yehuda Ben Chayes Sar, Shem Liyaz Ben Chayes Sar Elka, Tavul Shlamis Bas Dava, Shoshana Rezel Bas Estenacha. Okay, do we any more? I skipped. I didn't turn it over. Okay, you read this. Hold on. Yeah, I did. I read it. Okay, so we're we're going to connect this week's. Shir, we're going to go back a little bit for a moment to Pasha Yeshev. This week is Pasha's Vayigash. Um, also, so, someone asked me, Baruch Hashem, first of all, we had an unbelievable Shabbaton this past Shabbos. Um, or now with Shabbaton, it was, it was sold out. It was Charlie Harari spoke, I mean, YY, and myself, and everything. The, the guests were unbelievable, the speeches, everything went like clockwork. Baruch Hashem, we want to thank everyone who came. And um, in Mitzvah Hashem, we hope to make another 
Shabbat Shalom for the girls. Don't know yet when. We're trying to find a hotel. And Mitzvah Hashem, Hashem will send us the right hotel. For sure. So, what? Amen. Amen. Okay. So, on the right hotel, we got the Amen. Okay. So, um, so someone asked me, like, how do you know if your Hanukkah went well? Right? Now we're, we're back. There's no Hanukkah Menorah and no dreidel and no latkes and no family coming over. We're back and we call the long winter from Hanukkah till Purim. It's dark. It's cold. Very long nights, short days. So what are you supposed to take from Hanukkah into this darkness, into this cold, into this cold winter? They wanted to know, how do you know if you had a successful Hanukkah? So I told them that um, if you came Sunday night and Monday night and you felt a void that there's no candles at the window and um, the family's not there and you're not singing more and Salalu, if it bothered you, then you know you had a good Hanukkah. If it didn't bother you, and you're like happy, I don't got to come home early, right? And, and I don't got to sit here with the whole family. Then um, if it bothered you, then you had a good Hanukkah. If it didn't bother you, you didn't. If when you daven, when you daven Monday morning, and you didn't say Hallel, if that bothered you, then you had a good Hanukkah. If it was like, wow, I, I saved 10 minutes, no Hallel today. Wow, that's great. Then you didn't have a good Hanukkah. I remember I went on a Shabbaton with Moshe Meir Weiss, and he said that he was having a terrible time. Why? Because we were in a hotel. And he said, every time I go past the door, I put my hand up to kiss the mezuzah. But it's a hotel, there's no mezuzah. So he said, it bothered me going to sleep in a room that had no mezuzah. It bothered me going to a dining room that had no mezuzah. Because I'm, I'm a Jew in my house, I'm used to mezuzah. She said, if it bothers you and you put your hand, oh, there's no mezuzah, then you know you're, you're in a good place in life. But if it's like it doesn't bother you that you're, in a, you're sleeping in a room that doesn't have a mezuzah, he says, then you better go check your mezuzahs at home because it should be bothering you that you don't have a mezuzah. So if Hanukkah is gone and you're happy, then I've got to rush home, leave school early, I'm glad Hanukkah's over, then you didn't have a good Hanukkah. If you missed that light and you missed the family, and you miss the singing, then you know that your neshama grew a little bit of Hanukkah. But what, what are you supposed to take with you? What are you supposed to take into this winter? So actually, um, I think it was last night. Yeah, last night at my shir. So the truth is that had we not had the candle, had we not had the menorah, we still would have had Hanukkah. That Hanukkah is really because we won the war. So actually, had Hashem not made the miracle with the Pach Shemen, was the last one day, lasted eight days, that whole thing wouldn't have happened. They would have come to the base of Middash and there was no oil. Or they would have come to the base of Middash and there were eight days of oil. We still would have had Hanukkah because this little teeny army of five guys, seven guys, destroyed the whole Greek empire. How do you know you still would have had Hanukkah? How do you know? Come on, everyone in the room. There's some smart people here. How do you know that without the candles, without the miracle, just because of the war, we would have celebrated Hanukkah anyway? Anyone here know how you know that? Because the, the name of the holiday has nothing to do with the candles. It's Hanukkah, Hanukkah. They rested on the 25th day from the war. So that name, that Yantif, has nothing to do with the candles. Hanukkah has to do with resting on the 25th day that's when the war was over and they beat the Greeks. 
So we know from the name of the holiday that it has nothing to do with the candles. So, why are the candles so important? You ask any kid, what do you do on Hanukkah? They'll tell you, you light candles. You eat latkes. But they'll tell you, you light candles. What's the nace of Hanukkah? Ask anybody. 99% of the people will say they were supposed to last for one day and lasted for eight days. Even the non-Jews know that. You ask them, what's the miracle of Hanukkah? Nobody's going to say they won the war. <laughs> See, I'm telling the truth. So, I'm really telling the truth. Okay. So, so what's going, so, so, so why, why is the name of Hanukkah, why, why is it the war? So if you look at Alanisim, if you look at Alanisim, Alanisim, Alpokan, Alvurth, Alchurth, Muhammad, Shasislav, Hussein, Bayamahem, Azmanazeh, it talks about the war, Masatu, Gemurim, Yachalashim, it doesn't talk about the neighbors. What happens? After all that, it says that they came to the base of Migdash, the Tiaru, right, and they made it Taha, Upinu Sechalecha, they came and they cleaned up the Hechal, the Tiaru, as Migdashacha. And they made it tahar. They made it pure. They had liku, right? And they lit candles in the chatzer. And we celebrate eight days. Doesn't say in Alanisim why you celebrate eight days. So they came. They cleaned up. They made it tahar. They lit the menorah. And then we celebrate eight days. So what's going on over here? So the Kahanim, this group of Hashmanam, the what they were fighting, they were fighting... Yavon. Yavon, like I said last week, didn't mind so much that we kept the Torah. They minded that we thought the Torah was beautiful. That we thought that Yiddishkeit, the Judaism was beautiful. There were many religions, they studied philosophy, and there's philosophy of a Jew. They didn't have a problem with that. Their problem was the beauty. The beauty. And they were very into assimilation. When the Kahanim came to the Beis HaMikdash, they could have lit the menorah from Tameh oil. But the word Tameh is Yavon, is the Greeks. And they said that even though you could light the menorah with unclean oil and it would be kosher, we are fighting assimilation. And even though people don't like sometimes that I talk about this, right, you know, the whole Facebook and all that stuff, everybody's sick and tired, that's why I don't talk about it much, much anymore, right? But how did the Greeks break down the Jews? They, they, they broke us down by showing us that going to the gym, the body, physical body, the eye, that everything's about you and pleasure. And, and, and they were selling that in, to the world. And the world liked that. They liked that. And we don't mind. Go daven. But after you go daven, go to the gym. And do everything else that you have to do. But go daven. So there was a, there was a, the most dangerous thing is the, is the mixture. And their mixture was that you can, you can do your Jewish stuff, but at the same time, you have to understand that that's not, that's not what life's about. You want to go ahead and, and do the, you know, don't work on, even though they, they, they went after Shabbos, but the way they went after Shabbos was to, to say that Shabbos is not beautiful. Shabbos is, is, is tough, like, like we feel about it, like we feel about it today. So what did the, what did the Hashemunam do? They came to the base of Dash. They had all this oil all over the place. And they could use all this Tamedic oil. And they said, if we're coming out of fighting the Greeks, we're coming out of Tuma, we gotta come up with something that's 100% pure. Some, the way to fight this is we have to find some, one little teeny jar of oil 
They didn't know that it was going to be a miracle. They didn't know it was going to last eight days. They wanted to give something to God that was 100% pure. Because what the Greeks were trying to do was to make sure that there was nothing that was 100% pure. So they touched, it's a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, an, an analogy. They touched every can of oil. They touched every Jewish neshama. And they made a tummy. And the Kohanim had to find something that wasn't touched by American culture, so to say. Something that was 100% pure. And they understood that if they could find something, something in this base I made, that's 100% pure, that will save Klyestro. But if it's going to be Tumul Hutchibit if it's going to have something Tomei in it, they went right back to the assimilation. I'm lighting a menorah with something that's Tomei. That's assimilation. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shul, but at the same time, I'm on my internet, I'm on, I'm on all this other stuff. So you have to, you have to, to fight assimilation, there has to be something with inside you that is 100% pure. So if you look at Alanisim, actually, the miracle of Hanukkah was not supposed to happen. In fact, Chazal say that Hashem created the Pach Shem and it wasn't there. It wasn't there. That's why the first day you celebrate, even though it wasn't a miracle, because there was no can. Hashem created the can for that day. Why? Because we forced his hand. Because we came into the Beis HaMikdash, and if you read what it says there in al we cleaned out the whole Beis HaMikdash first. First you have to understand, and it's, it's, it's something I spoke about in seminary today. It's like champagne in a toilet, in a toilet bowl. If, if the Kaylee, if the Kaylee that the champagne is in, why people drink champagne in a crystal goblet, in a crystal cup, right? You just don't serve champagne in a paper cup. It doesn't taste the same. It doesn't look the same. So the Kaylee, even you put it, you're putting champagne in it, the Kaylee has to be clean. If I were to take champagne and fill up a toilet bowl with it and tell you it's a $100,000 champagne in the toilet bowl, go drink it. You say, well, Austin, you crazy? I'm not drinking out of a toilet bowl. I'm not drink champagne. But it's $100,000 in glass champagne. I, I appreciate that. Give it to me in, in a crystal goblet. Don't ask me to drink from a toilet bowl. The person, the person, we dive in and we do all these things and we don't understand why we're not connecting to God, why don't I don't feel God, why he's not listening to me, why am I not getting holier? Because the keli of the, of the tefillah, of the davening, all the mitzvahs that you do is you. And if you're filthy, if you're full of all this schmutz, so even if you're putting taira and tefillah and all this champagne inside, it's gross. The keli has to be, has to be clean. There has to be a purity. So they first went and cleaned the keli. They went, ufinu They went into the base on Medush that was, all this stuff from the Greeks was all strewn all over the place. And they said, before, listen carefully, because if you read Alanisim, before we looked for the can of oil, what a lesson. Before we even look for the oil to light the menorah, we understand that we have to clean out the garbage first. We're not even going to look for the oil until we clean out the base Hamikdash and we get rid of their TVs and their movies and their books and their music and their culture. This has to all get cleaned out the base Hamikdash first. First, we got to clean that within ourselves. Then, then, and then only did they go looking for the can of oil. Because they figured if we can find a can of oil now, and the base of is clean, and we light that can of oil, anything can happen. 
Anything can happen. So what happened was, in the beginning, Hanukkah was supposed to be just the war. We forced Hashem's hands. How did we do that? Since we looked, and we searched, and we cleaned, and we didn't accept taking tummy dicker oil, so Kodesh Baruch Hu Hashem, listen to what happened. It takes, it took eight days in the base of Megdash to make oil for the Menorah. What they used to do, is they used to take an olive, stick a needle into the olive, tap the top of the olive, and the first drop that came out of the olive, that was the only drop they were allowed to use for the oil. The rest of the olive was crushed and used for other things. So they got one drop out of every olive. To pick up, to get the olives, to do that, and to get enough oil for the menorah, took eight days. Eight days. So, we went ahead, and we said to Hashem, that I don't want to use Tamedika oil. But, I only found a little teeny can. That can can only last for one day. So what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm going to be forced. So the first day I used the can that was Kaddish with Tahar oil, with pure oil. But tomorrow, I'm going to have to use Tamei oil. Because it's another seven days. But I cleaned up everything. I did tshuva. I threw my Facebook out the window. I threw my non-Jewish tapes out the window. I cleaned up myself. I cleaned up everything. And now, I only have enough oil to last one day. So, what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm going to be forced to use Tabitha oil. But Hashem, I went ahead and did this. What's going to be the next seven days? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu was forced. Since we did that for him, what he had to do for us was to make sure that the next seven days, the oil is going to continue burning. So we forced, by cleaning up, by doing tshuva, by looking for purity, we forced God's hands. And we forced him to make a miracle for the other seven days. And that's, I don't know why my phone's making these noises, that's why we have to, that's what we have to take from Hanukkah. We have to take from Hanukkah that we're coming into the darkness. If we want light, we first have to make the keli. We have to go within ourselves, we have to go within ourselves and, and clean up. And if we clean up, then your, your, mamash, your mamash can see miracles. And that's what, we, that's what we have to take from, from, from Hanukkah. And it doesn't mean that you have to change your whole life. I'm not telling you take everything and throw it out the window. You've got to find one part of your life, whether it's Shabbos, whether it's Tars and Mishpacha, whether it's Sneas, whether it's the music or what you look at or whatever it is. You need to take one part of your life. You come out of Hanukkah, take one part of your life and say, Kishbacha, I'm going to work on this one thing. I'm going to clean out my little base Hamikdash on this one point so that whatever comes from that one point is going to be 100% pure. And you will see... And, and I can tell you that from my experience, I didn't stop going to movies, listening to non-Jewish music, watching television, reading books. I didn't stop, do that all in one time, because I had done that all in one time, I wouldn't have been able to keep it. There's no way you could do a hundred things at one time. I did one thing, many years ago, I stopped going to movies. And from the strength of being able to do that for a year and a half, I said, now I don't have to watch any more television. I see, I thought I needed movies. Now I realize I don't need movies. So we cleaned out movies, and it took another year and a half to clean out television. And music, I'm was a drummer and I am a drummer and listened to English music and I was one of the hardest things but you know what I already cleaned out one room in my house it's sort of like when you redo your house so you do one room right you redo one room what happens I know this it ends up costing you a lot of money right you redo one room now all of a sudden the rest of the house in that room don't fit right because you made that room modern you put beautiful 
blinds and a beautiful couch and a beautiful everything. And the rest of the house is old. So you're like, all right, I think we need to do the kitchen. Because we just did the living room and that looks the kitchen, the living room looks terrible. So you redo the kitchen. And then you're like, you know what? Let's just do the downstairs. Not the upstairs, but let's not do the downstairs. Now you're coming down from an old bedroom and an old hall. You're walking into this new kitchen, new living room, new dining room. You're like, okay, let's just do our bedroom. And then let's do the kids' bedroom. And before you know it, you have a brand new house. You ended up spending 15 times as much as you wanted to. And you ended up redoing the house. And sometimes you're at a point where you do a room and a, t- a room or two and you're like, this is crazy. I'm doing peace. I'm doing piecemeal. You know what? Let's move out, spend a year, knock the house down, and redo the whole house. And the Yitzhahara tells you that that's not going to work. But that's what really works. When you find one thing inside yourself and you work on it to clean it out and to make it pure, then you will see that the rest of yourself, it, it just, you got rid of movies, then the television and the other things that you have in there don't really go along with that new little room in you that's so pure and so holy. So now you're like, well, I got to get rid of some more of this stuff. And before you know it, all that stuff is cleaned out, all that stuff is new, and you're a new person. You're a balchuva. But it starts with one room, one little room, one room, one room. Because the truth is, what are you showing Hashem? You're showing Hashem that I want to change. If you show Hashem I want to change, Hashem, me, the connect me, has to help you change. And that's what you need to take. That's what a person needs to take into Hanukkah. Hanukkah, the Menorah, would have never happened if we didn't push it. If we didn't push it, it would have just been the war. We pushed those neighbors. And therefore, Hashem says, put them in the window, show the whole world that you weren't going to settle for second best. You weren't going to settle for tummy oil, even though you could have. You would have been yaitz. It's not enough. And I think that's what you need to take into till you get to Purim. That, that I'm not settling for just giving God in the morning a davening where my head is everywhere else. My phone is ringing. I, I'm not even, I don't even know. When I finish davening, I'm not sure if I daven chakras. Did I say Shemona Esrei? I don't remember saying Shemona Esrei. But I look at my time and I realize I'm standing and dining for half an hour. Must be, I said Shemona Esrei. Right? That's not a Shemona Esrei. So take a little piece, take Atta Kadash and do that with Kavana. Take Atta Khanamadas the next day and do that with Kavana. And you'll see all of a sudden everything is going to change. Little candle by little candle. One day at a time. And that's what we need to take from Hanukkah. Okay. Pajra Yeshev. So if you remember, a few weeks ago we were learning Pajra Yeshev. So the Malach met Yaakov, and he asked Yaakov, he, he met Yosef, and he said, What do you want? What do you want? He didn't ask him, where are you going? He asked him, what do you want? And Yosef said, es achai. I want my brothers. I want to belong. I want to be one of them. I want to be accepted. I am not accepted by my brothers. What do I want? I want to be one of the Shvatim. Okay. So what happens? We know that they sell him. Now, Yosef, of course, was very upset that his brothers sold him. The, the fight that was going on here was that the brothers had a bezdin. They, they, they got together. They judged Yosef. And they said that he was, that he was Chayav Misa. Because he spoke Lashon Har on them. Yosef, of course, did not believe that. Now, when they came to Mitzrayim, what happens? I'm going a little bit too far. Pastor Mikates. So Yosef says to them, this is unbelievable. They come down, and he recognizes them. Here, we're looking. If you want to look it up, it's in Perak Membez, Pasiches. So 
Vayar Yosef as Echov. Yosef sees his brothers. He's now the king. They don't recognize him. Vayakirem. And he recognizes them. And he says, what are you doing here? And they say, we're here for food. Vayakir Yosef as Echov. Vayim loyikiruhu. He recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him, says the Pasuk. Why, the Pasuk, why are they telling you this? We know that Yosef looked exactly like Yaakov Avino. And at this point, he had a beard. He wasn't 17 years old anymore. So really, the minute the brothers looked at Yosef's face, they should have said, Hey, that's Yosef. He looks exactly like Yaakov. The Medjur says, and this is so true, the Medjur says that when they came down to Mitzrayim, they knew that Yosef was sold to Mitzrayim. They knew that he was a pretty boy. He looked, he was very pretty. So where did they go to look for him? They went in the streets of the Zionists, of the prostitutes. They figured, such a beautiful boy, what is he going to become in Mitzrayim? They're going to sell him as a prostitute. So the Medjish says, they went into the Rechavites of the brothels, and they went from brothel to brothel, and they said, is there a Jewish boy that works here? And they said, no. And the Mitzrayim knew there was a Jewish boy, that he was the second to the king of Mitzrayim. But they would never say that he is a, is a relative to these guys, because these guys are looking for their brother in a terrible, disgusting, filthy place. So this can't be the brothers of the second where, where Paro said, the person that shows that the world that there's a God is you. You're the wisest man in the world. Brothers are looking at a brothel. Why would an owner of a brothel say, oh, well, your brother's king? Right? Why? Because the brothers, that's what they thought of Yosef. So here they are, when, when you make a decision, what, what you think of a person, you could be looking at them and not seeing them at all. When a, when a principal takes a kid and throws them out of school, we're going to talk about this, or a, or a teacher or a parent, when they throw a child out of school, they have this picture of what this kid is. Just a, a girl that got married, Baruch Hashem, in BCA, who, got, who was thrown out of her school when she was in 10th grade. So she met her principal shopping. She's now wearing a shaitel and she's married. And they were in Glotmart or some other store together. And of course, he didn't recognize her. Because his picture of the girl that he threw out in 10th grade is a kid on the street. Where could she have ended up already? Working in the gap in pants or who knows where. Or worse. So even though he's in Glotmart and this from woman with a shaitel is shopping and it, that face didn't change since 10th grade and he's looking at her and he's not saying anything to her because his picture of her is so different and she walks up to him and says Shalom Aleichem a good Arab Shabbos I'm so and so and he's like what? she says yeah I'm so and so and he would have never recognized her even though her face didn't change because he had a certain picture of who this girl was that he threw out. So the brothers had this picture of where Yosef would be in a brothel, in a terrible, terrible place. And therefore, they're standing right in front of him. He recognized them, but they did not recognize him. Is that my phone? No, somebody's phone is ringing. All right. Very big lesson. So what does he say to them? So he wants to now... He wants them to do tshuva. But he doesn't want them to do tshuva miyira. 
He doesn't want to do tshuva because now he's going to say, I'm Yosef, and I'm the head of Mitzrayim, and I'm going to take revenge. You better do tshuva. You better say you're sorry. He wanted them to do tshuva me'ahava. So he was going to hint them in many different ways so that they're going to say, oh my gosh, the reason that we're going through this is because we sold Yosef. So what did he do? He did to them what they did to him. He said to them, you're here, you came through different gates, you guys, you're spies. He was like they were. They weren't spies, he knew they weren't spies. But he wanted them to feel, what does it feel like when someone thinks you are something that you are not? So maybe they're going to say, you know what, this guy, he, he's accusing us of something we didn't do. You know why? Because we did the same thing to Yosef. And then, they're going to do tshuva. Master plan. But it didn't work. What happens? You guys are a bunch of miraglim. So they got it. What did, what did Yehuda say? What did they say to each other? They said, this must be happening. Let's see what they say over here. Next Pasik. Pasik Chofalaf. The brothers said to each other, We are guilty. We're guilty. When we saw our brother, before we sold him, he was begging for pity. And we didn't listen. He heard the brothers talking to each other. And he heard them saying to each other, Oh my gosh, we sinned. You know what our sin was? Our brother was guilty. Deserved to die. But when he, when he begged us for pity, we should have had pity on him. Even though he was wrong, we should have had pity on him. And Yosef's listening to this, and he's like, You didn't get it! You got the whole wrong meaning here. I'm trying to tell you that you did something wrong. You were chayshit b'kshayrim. You accused me of something I didn't do. So now I'm accusing you of something you didn't do. So now you're walking away and you're saying, oh, now we know we're getting punished. Why are we getting punished? Because we didn't have Rachmanish. We were right. But we should have had pity on him anyway. So yes, he's like, oh my gosh. They totally missed the point. Let me do it again. So he takes a cup and he puts it in Binyamin's bag. And again, he accuses them of stealing, even though they really didn't steal. And he figured now they're going to get it. And they still don't get it. So this week's Pasha, and Pasha's by Yigash, he couldn't hold it in anymore. He said, how many things do I have to put these guys through? So he couldn't hold it in anymore, and he says the following. I need Yosef. I am Yosef. Ha'od Avichai, is my father still alive? Now, once he said, I need Yosef, that I am Yosef, what should he be said, ladies? What should he say? I need Yosef. Ha'od is our father alive? He said, "Ani Yosef, haod avichai." Is my father? What do you mean? Was their father too? I know. Right. So did so did right. So it doesn't make sense. He should have said, "I am Yosef." Is our father alive? So there's two questions here. Number one, he should have said, "Is our father alive?" Number two, he knew that his father was alive. Five times before this, in the last two parashas, they said our father is old and he has a son and if he doesn't have the son back, he's going to die. And he said, how's your father doing? And they said, good. So he knew his father was alive. So if he knew that his father was alive, why is he asking him this question? <laughs> what a lesson. Listen to what he said. I need Yosef. I'm Yosef. Shock. You're shocked, right? 
He says, but I can deal with that. I can deal that you guys made a mistake. You judged me for something that I did not do. But I, I, accept, I accept that. I accept that you judged me wrong. But Ha'od Avichai, when you sold me, did you think about the effect that it would have on our father? Why didn't that bother you? The guilty mistake, I accept that a person can make a mistake. You can think someone's guilty who's not. But how do I accept that when you sold me, you didn't take into consideration our father? And if you didn't take into consideration our father, then he's not your father. Because if he was your father, you would have taken him into consideration. So therefore, in this equation, when you sold me not caring what it would do to my father and do to my brother Binyamin, you are not his children. Because if you can make a decision in life and not have your father as part of the reaction what's going to happen to him in part of your decision, then, then my, it's not your father. Therefore, the only one's father it is amongst us is mine. And the Torah tells us, they weren't able to answer and they, they, they lost their neshamas. They couldn't breathe. So the lesson for this, and, and this is the lesson that I want to give everyone here tonight. You know, when you make a decision in life, it's not only about you. Because if you're wrong, or if you're right, you have to take into consideration, what is this decision going to do to my father, to my mother, to my sisters, to my children in the future, to my husband in the future? You make a mistake, you can make a mistake. But what about all the other people? I need Yosef. I'm Rivka. I'm Miriam. Whatever your name is. But what about all what you're, what you're about to do? The effect that that's going to have on your children, on your husband, on your parents. And therefore, what Yosef is saying here: If you're so selfish, that's just about me partying, just about me having a good time, just about me getting what I want, then all those people are dead. All those people in your life that you don't take into consideration when you make a decision, all those people are not in the world. They're not part of your decision. He's not your father. Where did you have a right to sell me knowing that this would do this to dad? So when, it, when, when, when a child misbehaves, when a kid goes off the derech, whatever, it doesn't matter, married woman or kid, it doesn't make a difference who you are. When you make a decision in life, you, you, and you're hurting other people, and you're not taking them into consideration, then they don't exist. And that's what, that's what they couldn't answer for. You, you're going to be, you're going to be able to answer to Hashem, oh, I had taiva. I wanted to have a party. I wanted to go out with boys. I wanted to watch this. I wanted to listen to this. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. So, you know what? In Shemayim, they might say, you know what? You made a mistake. But, how are we going to forgive you for what you did to your mother? And your father? And your kids? I was talking today about smoking. Yeah, you want to smoke. My business, Rabbi Wallstein, not your business. I know, but, but it says 65% higher rate of lung cancer if a person smokes than if a person doesn't smoke. So what about, Mitzvah Hashem, you'll be a mother, but then God forbid, because you decided now that you want to have a good time, and now that you want to smoke, that your five kids are not going to have a mother by the time you're 35. How do you answer to that? I understand you want to smoke and you want to drink. Whatever you, you want to do, you, how are you going to answer to your kids when you're no longer in the world? How are you going to answer to your husband that he has to now take care of five kids by himself? 
I, when you're smoking or whatever you're doing, you're not taking into consideration all the other people that are going to have something for a reaction to what you're about to do. That's unforgivable. You yourself, it's forgivable. That's unforgivable. What you're doing to all the other people with your decision, that is unforgivable. And that's why the brothers, Nancy, could not answer. They could answer, we made a mistake with you. We thought you deserved to die. So we're really sorry, but we made a mistake. We got together and we made this judgment. They had no answer. Where did you have a right to do this to dad? Where did you have a right to put your father through 21 years of suffering? And where did you have a right to rip me away from my brother who had no one else in the world? He lost his mother. I was his only brother. Where did you have a right to take away 21 years of me and my brother being together? That, you guys have no answer. It means when you sold me, we were not in the, those people were not in the equation. Ha'od Avi Chai. Is he still alive? And before this, Yehuda said to Yosef, how can I go up to my father without the brother of my youth? And the Medrash says that this statement that Yehuda was saying was about a person after he dies, how can I go up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and have nothing from my youth? Just parties and music and hanging out and chilling and watching movies and reading books. How could I go up to Shemayim and explain to Hashem that from my bas mitzvah at 12 years old until I got married, there's nothing there, just fun. How do I explain that to my father in heaven? That he gave me 10 important years and I just wasted them. And I didn't think about how I'm behaving, how that's going to affect everybody else. But it's not just teenagers that I'm talking about. A teacher and a principal have to think. Before you throw a child out, before you tell a child that you're an imbecile, or you're stupid, or you don't belong here, or you're not one of us, before you make that statement, you may be right. That kid might deserve to be thrown out of school. But after you throw her out of school, what's going to happen to her? So she's going to end up in the street. And she's going to end up doing terrible things. And terrible things are going to happen to her. And then no one's going to want to marry her. Any good guy's not going to want to marry her. She's going to end up marrying some guy on the street. So she's going to have a miserable marriage. She's going to be an abusive marriage. Her kids are probably not going to be religious. It's going to be a dysfunctional family for who knows how many generations. So you may be right, said Yosef. You may be wrong, but you may be even right that you're throwing this kid out. But what about her children? The effect that this is going to have on her family and her children and her husband and her parents and her sisters. I need Yosef. When you make this decision of throwing this child out of school, did you take into consideration her parents? Did you take into consideration her future husband, her future children? Did you take that all into consideration? You may get away with telling God she deserved to get thrown out. But did her children deserve to have a dysfunctional home? Did her, did her husband deserve to have a dysfunctional wife? Did these parents deserve to, to sit shiva for five years while she's in the streets? Did you, did you take that into consideration? No, that you didn't take into consideration. Oh, says the Medrash. Oh, when it's going to come to Judgment Day in Shemayim, what are you going to say to all the people that you hurt because you made a decision on this kid? What a partial. That's what Yosef told his brothers. Me, you might get away with. Maybe you were right. 
What about dad? What did he do wrong? What did Yaakov Avinu do wrong? Why didn't you think about the pain that you were going to cause him? And the brothers had no answer. And it says they were in such pain after he said that, that they actually died. The Medjur said they actually died, and the Malach, Malach Gavriel Michal had to put their souls back into their bodies. You're talking about Shifte Kar girls. You're talking about the 12 tribes. These are not little people. So surely if they could not handle listening to this kind of Moser, what, what, what are we going to say? You have to think before you do something the effect that that's going to have on other people. I, I, I believe, I, I, I don't believe, I know that a lot of people, there's a lot of stories going on, whatever it is. There's a lot of abuse. And, and I really believe that many times the abuser, whether it's emotional abuse or physical abuse, whatever the abuse is, that, that the, the person really doesn't think that it's a very big deal. So I'm screaming, so I'm yelling. She'll get over it, you know, she'll get past it. She's strong. They're not thinking about the effect that's going to have, even if she is strong, on her children. And, and on her husband one day, and on her parents, and, and on the community. And on the Jewish nation. If you would think about all the different people that every action that we do will affect, we won't do the action. Even if we're right. Therefore, the action itself is wrong, said Yosef. You're running around and saying, you're sorry, you didn't have mercy on me. <laughs> you didn't have mercy on me, you didn't have mercy on anybody. You didn't have mercy on our father either. But if you didn't have mercy on me, and I can sit in front of you, and you don't recognize me, that means that you are so sure about how you judged me. You have this picture of me, and I say this a lot to Mechanchen, that I'm very against, you know, in school. So when I, when, when I was a teacher, so they used to have what's called anecdotal cards. At the end of the year, the seventh grade teacher would write on, for the eighth grade teacher what this kid did this past year so that the eighth grade teacher could look at all the index cards and know what to expect from every kid. When I came into my school, I told them when I became assistant principal, this is not allowed in my school. Let every teacher meet the kid make their own picture of what the kid is. Maybe over the summer, the kid did true. Maybe the kid changed. Meanwhile, if I read a card, right, that this kid is a troublemaker and this kid is this and this, so the minute I walk into class, I know already what this kid is like, I'm not giving him a chance. I have this picture of him. And even if he's trying to be good, I don't see that good. And that's what happened over here. Yosef was sitting in front of them. They should have known right away. He looked like Yaakov. Should have known that's Yosef. But they had a picture that he's in a brothel. So I'm not looking for him here. So he's in a brothel. He's a brothel kid. He doesn't have a beard. They were so sure of themselves. And he said, that's what, that's what bothered him all the time. And that's what bothered him here. He said, I recognize you, but you don't recognize me. I look at my brothers as the shift they call, as the biggest tzaddikim, and you look at me like I belong in a brothel. And in the end, the shock that they were living a lie, that shock that they were living a lie, killed them. There's nothing worse than making a decision on, on somebody or a decision in life that this is right. And then all of a sudden, at the end of life, you find out that your whole cheshbin, the whole way you learned, you lived your life, was false. That's why it says when a person dies, it's the, either the greatest moment of his life or the worst moment. Because if you lived right, you see Hashem, you realize, oh my God, there's a Hashem, I did the right thing, there's a Ganei dead. It's amazing that I died. I'm walking into paradise. But God forbid if you had a miserable, if you didn't do the right thing, and you're like, ah, probably there's no, and all of a sudden God shows up, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't go back down there, I can't change what I did. And my whole life was a lie. Over here, when he said, I need Yosef, right? When he said, I need Yosef, they were being told, your whole life is a lie. 
Why? The truth is, what did he say? They, they went looking for him in a brothel. So they didn't think he was dead. So what's this big shock that they lost their neshama? They didn't think Yosef was dead. They were looking for him. Worse. What happened to them was worse than thinking that he was dead. They had a picture he was a lowlife. They had a picture he was a liar. He was a dreamer. He was a Russian horror talker. He was a lowlife. And we were going to find him with prostitutes. That was their picture. And he stood in front of them and said, I need Yosef. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a lowlife. I'm one of the shifts they call. And the Medrash says that he showed them that he was a Jew. And he, show, he showed them that he never in Mitzrayim at all, Chas Shalom, assimilated whatsoever. I am as great as all of you. And my children are as great as your children. And they couldn't handle that. Because when you have a picture of somebody in your mind of their disabilities and their lack of ability, and then that person ends up becoming a superstar, it's worse than if the person died. It's your whole thought process, your whole belief in that you're right, gets shattered. And they could not handle Ani Yosef. They could, they could handle that he was alive, but they couldn't believe that Ani Yosef, that he's Yosef. That he's one of the shift they call. They could not believe that he's still Yosef in the triumph all those years. Their picture was shattered. We have so many pictures of people and thoughts of people and what we think they're able to do and not able to do. And so many times we're so wrong. We're so wrong, but we're so sure that when we, that we could look at that person like they looked at their brother and not see them at all. And only see our decision of what we judge them for. This is a speech from a chanchem for teachers who make a decision on a kid in the beginning of a year. And even though the kid changes, you don't see it because you're so sure that you're right about this kid. That the kid could, could be getting hundreds and, yeah, he probably cheated. He didn't study. He probably, because you have this, this, this thought, an idea of the child. And that's why I don't allow those little cards going out. Let the teacher meet the kid. Let the, maybe the teacher and this kid will get off much better because the chemistry wasn't good last year. Maybe during the summer, over the summer, he changed his mind on how he behaves. How dare you give the teacher a picture of what this kid is beforehand? Exactly. And that's this week's Pasha. And in the end, Yosef Atzadik was the one who saved their lives, who fed them, and took care of them, and took care of them when they came into Mitzrayim. I lived, I'm not going to get into it, but certain people had certain pictures of who I was as a kid. And they had this picture, no matter what I did, no matter what I tried, that picture was always the same. And if I would do something right, they would look at it and say, eh, only because, only because, maybe because, they could never say, well, you know what, he changed, and he's growing up, and he's doing well, because, because that means I'm wrong. I know how to be wrong. I threw this kid out. If I threw this kid out, this kid is rotten. Period. And if I meet her in, in, in a store five years later, and she's wearing a shato, I'm going to walk right by her. Because how could that be her? I made a decision on who she's going to be. I decided in my mind what this kid's going to look like in five years. So therefore, even though she looks different, that's not her. He said to her, I can't believe it's you. 
Why can't you believe it's me? Because you made a picture. You made a decision. You shafted me. Five years ago, you slaughtered me. I was done. I was finished because you made a decision that I'm a bum. So I'm done, finished. So how could I be? And that's exactly what happened in this parasha. How could this be Yosef? And they couldn't breathe. They couldn't talk. They couldn't breathe. They couldn't catch their breath. They died. And that's what he said. I need Yosef. I did not change. You are wrong. Did you think about our fathers when you made that decision? That's what I want you to walk out with tonight. I want you to walk out with two things. I want you to find a place in your soul to clean up one little thing, to give God that's pure, and he will open up Nisim and the flies for you. Hadlaka is a mitzvah. The lighting is the mitzvah, not the placing. You have to light it. You have to start. I'll take care of the rest. Believe me, I never dreamt any of the, any of the stuff that I'm involved with today. I never dreamt it. It wasn't in my plans. I didn't get married as a machanech. It was as far away as a different universe. But if you take one little step and you help one little kid, I met the first kid that I ever met with him. I met this Shabbaton. I haven't seen him in 40 years. I was a 16-year-old boy. I always wonder why I had the schus to, to do what I do. Because you have to have a schus to be able to help people. It's not you. You have to do something very big that Hashem gives you the ability to collect, to go into the treasure chest and collect all this money. You have to do something very big for the king to say, okay, I'm going to give you my treasure. Every, every, every coin that you shine belongs to you. What did you do to deserve to work in the king's treasury? And I never understood it. I haven't seen this guy for 40 years. I was 16 years old and I wasn't such a tzaddik. And I was learning in Beishraga. And the gym teacher had a son. And he was, he was having a very hard time. He was 12 years old. And I don't even know how this happened. But somehow we got connected. And for two years, I gave my whole life to this kid. And I've never seen him since then. And on the Shabbaton, it's 40 years later, he was on the Shabbaton. And I was playing football with, on Erev Shabbos. We had a little football game. And this guy walks up. And I take one look at him. I haven't seen him in 40 years. He's a doctor. I take one look at him. I'm like, oh, come on. This is, can't be true. And he's like, Rabbi? And I wasn't a rabbi at that time. I was 16 years old. So he's giving me respect. He's like, it's me, Avrami. I'm like, what? What? 40 years I haven't seen you? No picture. I was a 16-year-old boy. There was no picture in my mind. The kid was struggling. He wasn't religious. Whatever he was going through, there was no picture. Rabbi Greenwald always says that... When he looks at a girl that's struggling, that's off the derech, he doesn't see her as she is now. He sees her standing in front of the candles with her, with her little children lighting Shabbos candles. That's who he sees in front of him. He doesn't see a kid at risk. He doesn't see a low neckline. He doesn't see a high hemline. He doesn't see any of that stuff. He says, I don't see that. I look at this person. I see a young woman with little kids standing by Shabbos lift lighting candles. I have to do everything I can to get her to that point. From this point to that point. That's why Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald is the number one man when it comes to chinuch of girls. And that was the mistake that Yosef brothers made. They made a judgment when he was 17 years old that he deserved to die because he wasn't one of them. And that's at the end of the whole parsha. If you look at Pasha Yechi when we get there, it says that he turns to his brothers. He looked at them as brothers. He always looked at them as brothers. He just wanted them to see him as a brother. He always wanted to be part of that greatness. 
but they were not willing to accept him. And, e- and even when they came down to Mitzrayim and they stared him in the face, it's so true, I'm teaching for so long, you make a decision on a kid, you can stare the kid in the face, and he changed, and you, you don't see it, because you made a decision where, where you think that kid's going to go. You're not allowed to do that. You have to look at, when you make a decision, all the people that it's going to affect. And as kids, when you make a decision, you want to have fun, you want to stay out till 4 o'clock in the morning. So you know what? God may forgive you for staying out till 4 o'clock in the morning, but he won't forgive you that your mother was sitting, sitting at the kitchen table till 4 o'clock in the morning. He won't forgive you for that. He'll forgive you because you wanted to have fun. He understands that. But how dare you not take into consideration Ha'oyravichai. That your mother is sitting there and sitting there and she doesn't know where you are and staying up all night and crying. That he will never forgive you for. Because that means that as far as you're concerned, she's not alive. Because if she is not in your cheshben, when you do something, then those people are, don't, don't exist in your life. So you need to think before you stay up to 4 o'clock in the morning, what is that doing to my mother and to my father and to my children one day because I'm going to be a different kind of mother that stays out till 4 o'clock in the morning or a mother that stays till, out till 11 o'clock at night. You need to think further when you take a cigarette that, yeah, right now I'm having a good time, but is that fair to leave four kids without a mother when they're 5 years old or 6 years old? Where do I have the right to take the percentage up to 65 to 70% that they won't have a mother that lives past 40? Where do you have the right to do that? Or to drink? Or any of this stuff? You have to think about, I want to do this, but my kindleach. I'm a woman, I'm, I'm going to give birth, I'm going to be pregnant, I'm going to carry them. My, my, my physical health affects them. On, 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 on the cigarette and on the drinking, it says if you're pregnant, you can't drink beer, and you can't drink alcoholic beverages, and you can't smoke. Why? My life? What's the difference if I'm pregnant or I'm not pregnant? It's my life? And the answer is no, it's not your life. If you're pregnant, there's another life. So you have to think about that other life. So you can't drink even though it's not hurting you to drink when you're pregnant, but it's hurting that little child. When you do something spiritually, and it hurts your parents, and it hurts your family, and it hurts your community, you have to think about it. Not just you. You have to think about that effect. And if you're able to do that, then your, all your decisions will change for sure. My bracha to everybody is that Hashem should give you that moment before you do the craziness that you do to think about the effect that it's going to have on everybody else, and it should give you something in your soul, some chamber, some part of you that should be so pure that you should show Hashem that I want this so badly that the energy that you're giving to do that thing, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, should give you eight times as much of that energy. And the word Shmona, eight, means above Teva. Which means if you, if you do that, if you go above Teva to change yourself, then God has to, has to make a miracle and He has to create the ability within yourself to do miracles, to do anything above nature, to be a superstar. May Hashem give you all that kayak. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.